Let us pray together. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh now on this preacher and on these, your precious children, who are gathered here to worship you together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The great global evangelist, Reverend Billy Graham, was driving through a small town in it was in the very early years of Reverend Graham's ministry. He was not recognized as he would come to be all over the world. Apparently, Reverend Graham was driving too fast and was stopped by a local police officer and given a speeding ticket. And this officer had no clue who was preaching the revival the next night in his town or who young Graham was. Billy Graham admitted that he was guilty and made no excuse for his speeding. But the officer, for some reason, told him that he would have to pay the fine in the local courthouse. Reverend Graham went to the courthouse and stood before the magistrate and asked him, if he, the magistrate asked him if he was guilty of speeding. Graham pleaded guilty. The magistrate had a startled look on his face and he looked at the name and then he looked again at the face. The judge said it would be $20 for the fine, sir, a dollar for every mile you went over the speed limit. The judge recognized him as young Billy Graham, and he acknowledged him. As a matter of fact, the judge had came to Christ under a crusade of Billy Graham in a town not too far away. And in that crusade, he was led to Christ. He said, you have violated the law, sir, and the fine has to be paid. And then the judge did the unthinkable. The judge stood up from his chair, reached into his pocket, took out the $20, and attached it to the ticket and paid the penalty for young Reverend Graham. And then he took Graham out and bought him a steak dinner. Reverend Billy Graham would say years later about that experience. That was a demonstration of God's grace to us. That's how God treats us, Graham said. We're guilty, but grace. Convicted, but grace. Wrong, but grace. Imperfect, but grace. Stumbling, but grace. Wounded, but grace. Shamed, but grace. Life is stained and soiled, but grace. God took that ticket, Graham said, that we owed, paid it out of his own pocket, and applied his grace to us, then took us out to dinner. And he's been feeding us from his heavenly table ever since then. Grace is something that one of our central characters in the story of La Miserable could not understand. 
You remember our protagonist, Val John, was sentenced to five years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread because his sister's baby was hungry. And because he tried to escape several times, he ended up spending 19 years in prison. The other character that we met is Inspector Javert, who could not comprehend such a thing as grace. Javert could not, in no sense of the word, understand how a person could be extended grace for doing a crime. How can you be guilty but pardoned? Javert is, in the strictest sense, a person who adheres to the law. So much so, it has made him cold. So much so that he refers to Val John not by his name, but by his prison number, 24601. I believe referring to him as his prison number he wore for 19 years makes Val John not human to divert. Criminals are inherently redeemable to Javert. They are not really human on the same plane that we are. Once a criminal, always 24601. Names make us human. Javert sees the world as right or wrong. There's no redeeming grace. For Javert, grace makes room for chaos. We can only demoralize other human beings, though, if we cannot see the Christ in them. Valjean is 24601. Valjean steals a coin later on, and we see that for Javert, this proves that once a criminal, always a criminal. You can never be redeemed. But then Valjean becomes mayor. And it's difficult when that which we consider inhuman gains a social status that is greater than ours. It can produce hate. Javert becomes a criminal because he believed criminals were inherently evil during the war. After Valjean becomes mayor, Javert goes behind enemy lines, disguises himself, uses deceit to try to bring Valjean down. Disguised himself behind enemy lines, did whatever it took to capture Valjean. Javert is slowly becoming that which he hated. Valjean found out that Javert was disguising himself, he could have had him executed, but he doesn't. Javert cannot handle this kind of mercy and grace. Probably the most extreme expression of this in the Bible is found in the days of King David, who had a counselor, a very astute and wise man, Ahithophel. Ohithophel gave King David some advice one day, but his other counselors advised him to the contrary. King David chose to follow the advice of the others and, and not the advice of Ohithophel. When Ohithophel heard that the king had disregarded his advice, he went home, put his house in order, 
and hanged himself. Javert couldn't live with Valjean extending grace to him, so he leaped off of a cliff to his death. We see the same idea of grace and justice colliding in the New Testament, in the biblical story of the tale of two brothers. We see the scenario through the very eyes of Jesus. Jesus is in the middle of a teaching, and the keepers of the law, the law refers to the first five books of the Old Testament. The keepers of the law, the Pharisees, are listening in. It occurs as part of a parable of lost things. Within the parable of the lost things, Jesus tells three stories. And he told it as a criticism of the Pharisees and the scribes because of his actions. The Pharisees and the scribes were upset because he was healing outcasts. He was bringing people that shouldn't be in the fellowship back to the fellowship. These outcasts were inviting him home to dinner, and Jesus went and had dinner with people that were unclean, the Pharisees thought. The scribes and Pharisees were offended and complained against him because of this, the answer to their complaint. The Lord gave this great parable of the lost things. One parable falling into three parts. There we learn, my brothers and sisters, God how God views the lost. The first is the parable of the lost sheep. And it reminds us that some people are lost through ignorance. Then there's the parable of the lost coin. And it reminds us that some are lost through pure neglect. And now the parable of the lost sons. Notice plural, sons. This too falls into two parts. The first is the parable of the rebellious son. Those who are lost through rebellion. Some people just rebel against the status quo and family and they just set out on their own and are lost because of it. And now we come to the parable of the older son. Now, his elder son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked, what does this mean? And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in the house. His father came out and urged him to come in, but he answered his father, lo, I've been with you all these years and I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you've never killed even a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your living with harlots, you killed for him the fatted calf. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and now alive. He was lost and now he is found. Jesus calls our attention to the actions of the older brother. He's working in the field. When the younger son returns from the far country, the older brother is out working hard and does not get home. 
to well after the party was underway. In an, an exquisite touch, Jesus puts the boy out in the field working. There's something about hard work that seems to awaken the self-righteous attitude within us. How many times have you heard the phrase, I've been slaving all day long over a hot stove? There's something about hard work that makes us look down on those who don't work as hard as we do. So the boy comes in from the field and here's the party and asks one of the servants and he tells them, your brother has come home and your father has decided it's time to party. But the son couldn't go in. Now Jesus now is leaning heavily into the Pharisees, the so-called keepers of the law, the ones who thought of themselves as never sinning always stand within the law of the Old Testament, never ever uh, veering from what is written in the law. Jesus is screwing down on them and telling, how can you claim that you've never sinned? He's clamping down on them because they can't understand how these Gentiles, people they call dogs, now Jesus can accept them into the family and gives them the kind of grace that they don't believe that sinners deserve. He called himself the anointed one. The Pharisees could not deal with that kind of grace. But Jesus makes it no better. He continues on with the with the bad behavior of the son. His news of his brother being home is met immediately by the older brother with jealousy and anger expressed in the most infantile of terms. He begins to sulk and pout like a child and refuses to go into the house. And when the father comes out to urge him to come in, All that pent-up inward rage comes boiling out. The father requests to meet with, was met with a flood of bitterness and anger. Notice the emphasis on the self in what this boy says. He was angered and answered his father, Lo, all these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed you, yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Jesus, the Pharisees must be thinking, how can you accept these heathens as part of your discipleship, as part of your family, when they've been out doing what they may but all these years? We Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes have been doing everything we can to keep the law of God. Can you hear the contempt for his brother? And he blamed the father. Much as Adam blamed the father in the Old Testament, this woman you gave me made me do it. This son of yours who was devoured, who has devoured your living with harlots. When he came, you killed for him the fatted calf, the This whole expression is one of extreme resentment and bitterness. 
Jesus is expressing to the Pharisees and scribes that the anger that they have is childish because God loves them no less because they were living under the law and these Gentiles were not. He was trying to express to them that God loves them as much as he does the Gentiles, but they could not understand that kind of grace. And Jesus brings out three characteristics of these Pharisees. The first one, and it always starts here, is a sense of being treated unfairly, a sense of being ignored, of being forgotten and disregarded. You never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Expresses the hurt of apparently being ignored and forgotten by his father. It is a sign of a crushed pride, of a wounded ego, revealing the certainty of I am right and you are wrong. And the most common expression of this story brings out that uh, one of anger and one of I won't play with you. I'm taking my marbles and I'm going home. I'm done with you. The second characteristic that Jesus points out to the Pharisees who are listening, the Lord brings this out. Here is that of the overinflated view of self. Notice how the older brother describes his own superiorities and advantages. Self-righteous people always are full of self-praise. Lo, I've served you all these many years. It is in his view an entirely a matter of contributing to his father. His father has never given him nothing. His father has never ever treated him as fair as the son. All these years I've been working for you and I haven't gained anything. My relationship with you has not benefited me at all. I have not even gained praise from you. You have never came and said what a wonderful job that I'm doing. In his view, I have been slaving for you. I have been giving myself to you all these years and you never, never gave me a thing. Never disobeyed you. Now you know that's not true. No kid I ever had has never disobeyed me. My son who's a pastor and he's much more of a saint than I am. The boy disobeyed me on several occasions. So these kids say, I've never disobeyed you. I've been faithful all this time. That's what self-righteous people do. They proclaim themselves right, and there's nothing you can do to convince them that they are as human as you. They are sinners saved by grace. In his view, he's completely and wholly right. That's always the mark of a self-righteous person. The third characteristic that Jesus points out is this. Blame of others for what has happened to you. His blame, he blames his father of his contempt for his brother. This son of yours, not my brother, it's your son. He can hear, you can hear the cutting edge contempt in that. He does not call him my younger brother. There's no love expressed for this younger son or brother. Much like Javer, he doesn't recognize him as being a part of the family 
or being human. He is your son. He views him as something vile, something despicable, something contemptible. And his language reveals there is no love or respect for the son or his father. Oddly enough, in some strange, perverted way, as frequently as it happens, this father ends up with all the blame. It's all his father's fault. You never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. You never said, add a boy to me. But you killed this fatted calf at this young boy who ever since he's been born has been getting all the attention. You spoiled him rotten. How many times have you heard that reaction expressed from one of your kids or grandkids? Jesus taught against this sin more than any other sin he dealt with. He deals with this sin more severely and harder than any other sin. Jesus could be loving and gracious and accepting toward those who were involved in adultery or drunkenness or demon possession, but he faced self-righteous Pharisees in their smug complacency. His words burned and were meant to sear and scorch them heavily because this sin is deadly and it can be disguised as something justifiable. This is what's wrong with self-righteous, the self-righteous spirit. It can always be proved right by the book, the letter of the law. There is always an aspect of it that looks right. There is a sense in which this son can be justified for his attitude. It looks perfectly justifiable that he should feel as he does out working in the hot sun, never leaving to have a party. That's always the mark of a self-righteous person. It is an apparent right to be nasty to other people because by the law, they are wrong. This sin of the lost is something that you can hear Jesus having a big heart for. This sin of people being in the darkness, being blinded, being cast out, being set aside, not knowing that God is in the world trying to love on them. This sin, Jesus viewed as one of the most contemptible sins that has the ability to destroy relationships and sister and brotherhood. Jesus says to us and to those Pharisees, be careful of this one. This one can sneak up on you even though you've been in the church a long time. It can sneak up on you. I have been in churches where people have been good, faithful Christians, giving and working hard in the church and be so upset because the kids get the chance to play on Sunday morning and don't come in the worship center like they should be. I have seen Christians so 
angry because the younger folks are not doing what they think Christians should do. My mother would not hear of us listening to secular songs. And anything that wasn't gospel music was secular. If we were caught listening to secular music, it was a sign to her that we were not worthy of God's grace. Wasn't that she was a bad mother, for she thought she was a better Christian and wanted to raise her children to be right, to be on the right side of the law. There's no grace in the law, brothers and sisters. There's only the accusation that you are wrong. Here is the trick in the whole parable. We see the youngest son as being lost through rebellion. But what Jesus points out is that the older brother is just as lost as the younger son. And the father tries to go out as he did to the younger son. The father goes out and tries to bring the elder son back into the family because he recognizes that he is lost. And what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, the folk who were always in church, always, always doing the right thing, you are just as lost as these Gentiles if you do not recognize the love and grace of God that's thundering in your life as well as in theirs. You have always been with my father, Jesus says to them. All that God has is yours, Pharisees and scribes. You don't have to be jealous or angry at those who come late to the party because God has enough love for everybody. During this Lenten season, this is a great time to judge ourselves in the light of God's word and see if there's anything inside of us that's not like Jesus. Let us pray. Our God, we who have been rebels at some point or the other have found you to be gracious, loving, and merciful, compassionate when we should have been dealt the law. No, oh, Lord, save us from turning around and being harsh and judgmental toward others. Give to us your spirit that we may extend grace to others the way that you have extended grace to us. Give to us the ability to love those who are the unlovable the way you have loved us even in our sin. We ask this in the name of our brother Jesus. Amen.